Welcome to TrekCast, the official podcast of the Real Estate Council from deep in the heart of Dallas, Texas. I'm Bill San Antonio. Thanks for joining us. Today's show is a replay of our August 25th Bank of Texas Speaker Series event entitled The Sky's the Limit. Our virtual panel discussion focused on the innovations and emerging transportation markets that will affect how we design the airports, cities, and infrastructure of the future. The panel was facilitated by Samantha Flores of Corgan and featured Hillwood President Mike Berry, DFW International Airport CEO Sean Donahue, and the City of Dallas's Director of Aviation, Mark Diener. Before we get started, I'd like to recognize and thank our event sponsors, Bank of Texas, Stuart Title, and the Dallas Morning News for their support of Speaker Series. I'd also like to remind you to subscribe to our show if you're new to the program. We're on all the major podcasting platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Subscribing is the best way to ensure that you get all new episodes right to your mobile device. Be sure to follow Trek on social media as well. We've posted links to all of our handles in the show notes for this episode. And now, here's a replay of Bank of Texas Speaker Series, The Sky's the Limit, right here on TrekCast. Uh, Good afternoon, everybody. It's it's great to see everybody's faces. I'm Mike Ablon, the founding partner and principal at Pegasus Ablon and vice chairman of the Real Estate Council. I'd like to welcome you all to today's Bank of Texas speaker series on the future of air travel and urban air mobility. We will be recording the program today. So for whoever said they had shorts on, stay seated. And we will make this available on Trek's podcast, TrekCast, which is available wherever you do get your podcasts. Um, As always, um, this program would not be possible without the program sponsors and our longtime partners, Bank of Texas, Stuart Title, and the Dallas Morning News. Trek's belief is that the relationships are the lifeblood of career success, civic responsibility, and community investment. And while this year hasn't been what any of us would have expected, Trek has adjusted and we're still at work in the industry and in our community. Since the end of March, Trek's members have continued their impactful work through the ongoing virtual committee meetings, programs, public policy efforts, and community investment initiatives like the Dallas Catalyst Project, the Dallas Collaborative for Equitable Development, totaling over 1,600 engagement touch points. Trek has honored all of its community commitments during this difficult time. So I'd like to thank all of you, you all, Trek's members, for not letting the pandemic stop you from working towards build the city you've imagined. And now with that, I'd like to introduce my friend, Melissa Eastman, Senior Vice President of Commercial Services uh, Manager, Regional Manager of the Texas Region for Stewart Title. Melissa has a brief market update for to share with us before we get started into the program. So, Melissa. Thank you, Mike. Good afternoon, everyone. It's nice to be with you. I only wish that I could see all your faces as well. Okay, so what does this pandemic look like in the world of super title? Well, let me just say, thank goodness we're in Texas because Q1 started out with a bang. Now, this is going to surprise you. Year-over-year revenue through July is actually up 19%. Shocking, right? Well, not really. There are three very good reasons for that. 
Number one, the title industry as a whole nationwide had its best Q1 in history in 2020. Number two, orders are, we've had a 25% increase in orders Q1. Rather, excuse me, 30, 33% increase, sorry, in orders in Q1, which really front-loaded our second quarter. Okay, now the third reason, probably the most important, is that because of this pandemic, one of our national retail customers elected to finance a huge portfolio of locations to the tune of about three quarters of a billion, closing in Q2. And were it not for the pandemic, that, that transaction would not have occurred. Okay, so with Stuart and or the others, are we out of the woods? Oh, hardly. Um, orders for Q2 are now down 25%. Orders for July are down 35%. But oddly, listen to this, orders for August are up 35%. So maybe are we hitting the curve that everybody has been hoping for? Well, I don't know because deals are still pushing, some canceling and deal size is shrinking. So we're budgeting a 30 to 40% decrease in Q3 and four against our pre-COVID budget. Okay, now let's move to the chart um, that's, that's in front of you. Um, let's see what Real Capital Analytics has to say about commercial real estate transactions in DFW. Moving from left to right across all asset classes, take a quick look at Q1, strong across the board. But look at senior housing. It's the, the, the second line down to the right. Um, it was off the charts at a 2,598% increase quarter over quarter. Okay, enter Q2, aka COVID. And now look at the highlighted portion on your screen. All segments hit really hard. But look, hotel with a 100% decrease, senior housing, 95% decrease, and retail, 86% decrease, fared the worst. I mean, it's, it's drastic. Now, the bottom of the chart compares Dallas Fort Worth to the US in commercial real estate transactions. Okay, now why it looks like we fared worse. Then the U.S. in Q2, look at our gain in Q1 of 53.8% quarter over quarter versus 17.8 for the U.S. market. I mean, DFW still outperformed the U.S. market. Bottom line, DFW came off of a huge all-time high, and the market is now suffering. However, deals are getting done, so we hope that you will remember, Stuart, on your next real estate transaction. Thank you for your time this afternoon, and I'll now turn it back to Mike Avalon. Uh, great, Melissa. Um, thank you for the update. Thank you, Melissa, for you and to Stuart Title for your steadfast commitment uh, to Trek over the years. And now I'm pleased to introduce our moderator, Samantha Flores. Samantha is the director of Hugo, which is Corrigan's innovation and research team that elevates data-driven design around the human experience examining the various impacts that emerging technologies, shifting human behaviors, have on the user experience and the built environment through focused research, experimentation. Specifically germane to today's program, Samantha has worked with clients to develop emerging architectural typologies, such as skyports, spaceports, and digital interactive immersive environments. And with this, I'd like to welcome, let's get to our program, I'd like to welcome Samantha. Thank you for moderating today. Um, the floor is yours, or in this case, I guess we'd say the screen is yours. Um, Samantha Flores, um, welcome and have at it. Awesome. Well, thank, thank you very much, Mike. That's uh, really nice of you. And, 
And I just want to say good afternoon to everyone that's on the phone. And as Mike mentioned, I'm Samantha, and I'm the director of Hugo at Corgan. And today, we're going to talk about how our cities and urban landscapes are transforming. Um, and we'll be discussing, you know, emerging aviation markets. We'll be discussing shifts in supply chain demands and how urban air mobility all vie to reshape our cities and redistribute where our populations are moving in a lot of exciting ways. And we're going to talk about also something that Mike mentioned, consumer behaviors, travel habits, they're all changing. And how are we as designers and developers really um, exploring ways to support those changes um, through emerging technologies or maybe you know, identifying where we can pivot and identifying gaps in markets that we can kind of look to and towards for the future, um, all of which are really helping us to create that long-term value in our built environment. And so today to speak to this very visionary topic, we've gathered a group of expert panelists, and I'm going to let each of them kind of tell you a little bit about themselves and how they fit into this environment. And we're going to start with Mike Berry, who's president at Hillwood. Mike, go ahead and introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay, thank you, Samantha. Um, boy, things have changed since we first scheduled this panel uh, several months ago. Um, and so the, the topics that some of which I was going to focus on or, or, you know, have been impacted quite a bit as well as, as all of aviation uh, globally. But um, my, my role at Hillwood, I'm president of Hillwood. I have my primary responsibilities are the commercial side of our business, which includes industrial, mixed use, office, retail, multifamily, uh, primarily everything we're doing in, in North Texas. We also have a major uh, residential uh, division, Hillwood Communities, and a major industrial division that's expanded across the country and, and into Europe. Um, but most of my focus is here, and um, we got involved in this whole urban air mobility movement several years ago, about three years ago, when Uber reached out to us and asked us, because of our uh, history in aviation infrastructure, uh, North Texas real estate, political climate, governmental relationships. Uh, they asked us if we would help them look at uh, the future of urban air mobility, specifically moving people from very dense areas across urban metropolitan regions and what sort of infrastructure would be needed to build the platform and the base for uh, the future of, of urban air travel. And that's how we got involved. And that really has opened our eyes to the whole future mobility movement, which many of you are watching and following right now that not just relates to aerial activity, but also surface movement. Uh, our focus has been less about moving people and more about moving freight. So we're studying and working with companies now, both on the autonomous trucking side and related to this panel on the aerial side, really the companies, the OEMs that are developing both drone and eVTOL aircraft uh, to carry packages and freight uh, in last mile situations and even long haul situations. Pretty amazing what's going on out there today. Uber started the movement, but quite frankly, there are so many new players. It's hard for us, even though we're working on it, it's hard for us to keep up. Uh, but I'll talk a little bit more about that later. Thanks. Awesome. Thank you, Mike. 
Um, next, we have Sean Donahue, who's the CEO of Dallas-Fort Worth International Airport. So Sean, go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself. Sean, I think you're muted. You would think after three months, I would stop making that mistake. Sorry about that. No worries, thank you. Uh, again, good afternoon, everybody. And uh, I wanna thank Trek for inviting me to join on this panel today with Mike and Mark. I've been fortunate enough to uh, be at DFW now, coming up seven years. I've been in the aviation industry for 35 years. And most of that uh, prior to DFW was on the airline side, both here in the US as well as, as Australia. And obviously DFW has been uh, impacted like the entire aviation system has been impacted during this pandemic. But uh, you know, to the credit of, I think the region in general, uh, the resiliency of the region and businesses uh, we're actually doing uh, better than most airports uh, globally. And as a matter of fact, uh, for the last couple of months, DFW has been the, the busiest airport in the world. Now, we're not necessarily celebrating that because year over year, our traffic is down 50%, 5-0. But a lot of other major airports are down 70 to 80%. And uh, so the, as, as the region... Uh, goes through this pandemic and the impact economically. And uh, as stated earlier by one of the speakers, we seem to be doing better than most regions. Therefore, uh, glad to see DFW doing better than most of our, our international and large airport competitors. On the subject of uh, urban mobility, as Mike mentioned, uh, Uber reached out to us uh, two or three years ago, and, and DFW is one of their three launch airports in the world. But uh, I think Mike's point was an important one. There are a lot of players in this space right now, and uh, it's going to be fascinating to see what happens over the next couple of years. The technology is there unquestionably, and now it's working through all the regulatory issues and, and some of the other challenges to, uh, to get this moving. So again, thanks for allowing me to join and look forward to the panel discussion. Thank you so much, Sean. Um, last but certainly not least, we have Mark Diener, who's the Director of Aviation at the City of Dallas in Dallas Love Field. And Mark, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself as well? Thanks, Samantha. Um, I'm Mark Diener, I work here, Dallas Love Field. I've been Director Department of Aviation since 2011, so I'm kind of still the rookie in the aviation uh, business. Uh, can't hold a candle to a lot of my colleagues on the panel. Um, but I came to Love Field kind of at an interesting time. We were building the new terminal. Um, and ever since then, it's really been a question of how does an urban airport like Love Field, constrained in our size, constrained in our growth, how do we fit into that mobility fabric, both from pedestrian and the things we've been doing, trying you know, create a, a pathway around the airport as well as traffic, looking at alternate entries. Um, so there are a number of ways I think airports have expanded their scope because really they've understood they're more than these isolated islands that planes come in, land, people get on and off. That 
connectivity needs to happen. And so things like Uber Elevate and, and you know, really becoming mobility centers for the region, other than just an airport in the classic definition, I think we're all trying to figure out what that sort of new world is going to look like when you have multiple modes serving the airports from rail, from cars, uh, you know, the VTOLs, hovercraft, who knows what it's going to be in the future. So it's really an exciting time, I think, especially for us and where we're situated. Uh, we have some limitations, but we certainly, that creates a lot of opportunities to leverage that location to be more talking about self-driving cars. So there's a lot of inputs coming into this equation and, and we're just excited to be here at this time and having these conversations and how airports are, are really going to change their role in the sort of urban mobility landscape from what we traditionally had been. Thank you so much, Mark. And you're absolutely right. There have been so many different opportunities to take a look at um, where aviation in general is going, but as it relates to our communities, to our cities, and to development in general. And so, you know, over the past few years, it's been increasingly evident that the infrastructure of not just our national cities, but our world cities have in many cases reached its limits. Um, it's really prompted this growing excitement in new and improved airport terminal renovations across the world, a renewed interest in the future of autonomous vehicles that came back, um, and how the introduction of AVs might significantly change our city blocks, change the way that we operate our airports. And of course, you know, it's kind of reignited, you know, every futurist dream of bringing new urban air mobility or UAM opportunities to our cities, um, just like Mike said, and, and both for transporting goods as well as people. You know, urban air mobility has a whole spectrum of aircraft um, in, under its wing. And so these futures that we've kind of created for ourselves, it's, it's really captivated us and really captivated the public. And we know that, you know, even though these are really exciting emerging technologies, they're not going to be adopted if we don't align with our natural human behaviors by being intuitive, by being safe. Um, most importantly, you know, being accepted and adopted by our communities. And so, you know, really kind of like Mike said, just like that, we began working with different manufacturers to bring these dreams into reality. We began working with regulators, as Sean mentioned, to really understand that stratification of our urban skies, um, parsing it out between all the different passenger drones, medical device delivery drones, um, other aircraft that may be taking up some of that real estate in the air. And we've not only kind of been exploring what's happening in the air, but like Mike said, we've been looking at what's on the ground, you know, really checking out how biometrics can be introduced into these Skyport mobility hubs, for example, for quick identification and boarding, or even into our um, downtown buildings to, you know, if we're boarding from above, from the top. And then we've also been looking at where these parcel delivery drops could be located in our cities, on our buildings, how micro warehousing um, facilities should actually operate in a network within our cities. And all of these are changing how we not only design our terminals and these interactions with our terminals, but our communities. And it raises questions about how we as, uh, you know, as an industry can design and think in a responsible way, um, it, even throughout this whirlwind of excitement uh, with autonomous drones and autonomous vehicles. And so 
You know, um, as Mike mentioned, this isn't only a dream that's been here in the U.S., you know, China, Germany, Singapore, all these other countries and players have been competing in a lot of these areas of development, and they've really been making progress on passenger drone networks, battery development, integrating distributed ledger technology as a part of that parcel delivery tracking, and likewise, competing for the world's biggest and best terminal experiences. And so, you know, we have all been, um, you know, all of us talking to you today, we've been setting ourselves up for years um, for this incredible decade of innovation. <laughs> and like many of you mentioned, all of this kind of recently came to a halt um, as air travel and delivery has been deeply impacted by the, the current pandemic. So we are going to start with this elephant that's in the room. Um, you know, it may, be, it may be hard to believe, but COVID-19 has in some cases been a catalyst for innovation during this time. And it's, you know, really asked all of us to reevaluate how our infrastructure um, is working in ways that we haven't evaluated it before. And it's completely changed our understanding of consumer behavior, both as it relates to, you know, our purchasing power and our purchasing habits, but our travel habits. And also how it relates to either our reluctance or sometimes excitement for adopting emerging technologies. Sometimes that's even completely flipped when we're looking at how people are adopting technologies during this time. And in that way, it might actually allow us to maintain new and evolving health habits. Um, and so on that note, I'd love to kind of start off by asking both Sean and Mark, you know, how have both Love Field and DFW evolved during this time? Have you leaned into any emerging technologies that you'd like to share with us today? Mark, you want to kick off? Sure. Um, I wasn't sure uh, who the finger was being pointed at. Um, I do think we've leaned in. I, the I, what Samantha's saying exactly right. I, the evolution of sort of the frictionless experience, or you know, minimal human interaction. A lot of things being done with technology, touchless. I think those trends were already on track. That's certainly what we had been tracking um, and, and we're working towards anyway. I think the pandemic and, and you know, the importance of having those touchless features and, and really allowing people to move through quickly and easily, we want to, we picked up that pace. Uh, I've been a little bit contrarian. We haven't rushed to do a lot, especially with regard to cleaning or, or those kind of technologies. They seem very expensive uh, and I'm not sure the bang for the buck is there, but I do think the self-guided capabilities that we, we keep continue to push, better wayfinding, better check-in, automated touchless parking, uh, you know, paying by phone, we've really uh, tried to promote those to the greatest extent possible. I think the airlines are, are trying to play catch up um, uh, really figuring out a way to, to allow that experience. But, but frankly, the, the challenge is going to be during this period, there's still a lot of our customers that are, that are not that sophisticated. And, you know, we have a lot of experienced travelers who've really migrated to that environment already with, you know, their app or their phone with their boarding pass and every, they don't really need any help assistance. They don't check bags or um, but we still have a segment of our customer, and that, that's what we're kind of focused on now. The folks that really don't fly very often, that need a lot of help and support, um, you know, still want to print a boarding pass, and those, 
those kind of things. Maybe don't even have a smartphone at this point. So we're, we're in that funny age where, you know, I think flip phones are still available somewhere because you see them occasionally, but really until we just stop making cars with cassette players, someone's still gonna want a cassette tape uh, produced. So we're, we're trying to get everyone moved over. Um, and I, I think there's lots of opportunities and we think that improving that experience creates new opportunities that we hadn't thought about before where we can maybe even charge a premium um, because of the concerns about safety and distancing, VIP check-in, special, you know, waiting areas, things like that. Um, there's some political sensitivity as to, you know, accessibility to all, but frankly, the airlines have been monetizing people wanting elevated service for an elevated price. And so we're exploring some of those options that there's now demand where there wasn't before. Um, so I think the pandemic is, I don't know if catalyst, but certainly was maybe some gasoline that was poured on a fire that was already beginning to burn. Um, so so we're, we're, we're trying our, our best to catch up. A really good accelerant for sure. <laughs> and Sean, you know, I, I'd also like to ask the same question to you about you know, what have you kind of leaned into at this time? Sure. And I, I would agree with uh, Mark's points. We've all seen it as people travel uh, over the last several years. There's many more self-service uh, optionality during the entire travel experience, be it in the airport or with the airlines. And, and I believe what the pandemic has done is it's accelerated that and also heighten the importance and the expectations of now not only self-support, but as much touchless as possible. And we're fortunate that we actually started on some of these touchless initiatives back in 2019. Samantha, you mentioned biometrics. We, we started last year using biometrics to board all of our international flights. And, and basically the facial recognition at the boarding gate became your boarding pass. You didn't have to show a piece of paper. You didn't have to show your boarding pass that was on your phone. The facial recognition captured all of that and allowed you to board the airplane. And it, it created great efficiencies on wide body airplanes uh, we were boarding airplanes in about half the time that we would normally use. And I believe biometrics uh, is going to uh, accelerate even further. And, and we're interested, very interested in, in seeing future opportunities there. On the touchless side, we, we also uh, started last year at our security checkpoints, uh, installing sensors that allowed us to provide to our customers real-time line security weight. So when you, again, most of you have flown out of DFW and Love, we have 15 different security checkpoints and we wanted to give optionality to our customers. So we gave and we provide our customers what, what the real-time wait times are. And if you want, it will tell you that a five minute walk down the hallway will be a 10 minute shorter wait at the security checkpoint. The reason I bring that up is sensors are obviously something that 
we are all using in our businesses, but that technology we're using will also allow us in the future to help our customers create some of that distancing that is so important right now. And then finally, uh, we're about to trial with our, with our partner, American, uh, not only being able to get your boarding pass uh, through self-support, but also being able to check your bags. And again, biometrics and facial recognition will be part of that, where you, you will not need an airport or airline employee uh, to actually help you check your bag in through the entire system. So biometrics, sensor technology, uh, you're going to see that more and more, I think, in airports throughout the, the country and the world as the touchless expectations of customers increase. And, and the last thing I'd, I'd like to mention in a bright spot uh, during these last six months has been our cargo operations at DFW. And uh, we've seen cargo operations remain very stable, if not even grow. And uh, while cargo is important to us, I know it's, it's really critical uh, to Mike and the Alliance team and might be good to, to hear how important cargo has been uh, uh, from Mike's uh, perspective. Absolutely. Yeah, Mike, I, I would love to hear, you know, I know that you've kind of catered to some changes in consumer trends recently, but um, how have you kind of transitioned your focus? You talked a little bit about going from air to ground in the beginning, and, you know, I'd love to hear you elaborate about your um, cargo operations during this time. Well, just big picture, uh, the last, for, for those of you who don't really understand the Alliance Texas project, I'll just give a, a, a short overview, 27,000 acres, but anchored by roughly 12,000 acres of industrial logistics, inland port operations, all uh, centered uh, on or with uh, Alliance, Fort Worth Alliance Airport. And our two big air freight activities here at Alliance are the FedEx Southwest Regional Air Hub and the new Amazon Air Hub, which was the first air hub for Amazon to build in their entire system. They're now rolling out a pretty aggressive uh, air freight business, as many of you know, but Alliance was the very first one. And they opened um, November of last year, so they haven't even been up. They've been open 10 months. Uh, slightly less, had three flights a day, and now they're up to 14 flights a day. And I, I fully expect them to to be, you know, closer to 20 plus uh, by the end of the year. So pretty incredible growth. Part of that, I think, is the natural, um, fast, explosive growth of Amazon as an enterprise. But much of it has been driven by the supply chain gaps that we all have experienced as a result of the pandemic and the huge increase in e-commerce sales and e-commerce activity. Um, and you're seeing it all across the Amazon platform. I mean, they're, they're expanding rapidly in every segment of their business and every type of facility that uh, plays an important role in that whole supply chain. Um, FedEx though has also been um, at run, running at a high at a high pace, and the other thing we've seen, and and most of our clients are large, 
distribution. We have a, a big e-commerce base. We have a, also a big consumer products uh, distribution base. And another big anchor here is the Burlington Northern Santa Fe Intermodal Hub. If you were to come out here in May, first week of May, not knowing there was a pandemic going on and just watch the volume of freight moving all across the Alliance platform, you never would have known uh, we were in this, you know, this, this national sort of shelter in place environment because the, if anything, the, the pace of movement was at a higher level than normal as opposed to a, a lower level. And it was just everybody trying to keep up with these inventory gaps that we were all, all experiencing. So we, I, I mean, I feel the same way that uh, everyone does. And Samantha, you, you stated it. I think the, the silver lining in all of this is that these technologies, whether they be the technologies that Sean and Mark talked about uh, that deal with the people in a commercial airport or whether they be the technologies, the systems and the equipment that will move freight um, in a touchless, more efficient manner, the pandemic is going to do nothing but accelerate the advancement of all of those technologies. I think, I think that is, that is a given and we're already seeing it with all of these companies we're working with. But if you watch 60 minutes Sunday night, there was a whole segment on autonomous trucking too simple. One of the companies that they uh, showcased in their piece on 60 minutes is one of the companies we're working with at Alliance to stand up a test center uh, for their autonomous trucking operations. Um, and, you know, they're just one of many companies in this space. If you go to the air side, we, we talked about Uber as kind of the, the original fire starter of, of the whole urban air mobility movement. But now you've got Toyota <clears throat> investing heavily in the space with Joby. You have Google investing heavily in the space uh, to develop uh, VTOLs. Bell, our homegrown uh, company here in North Texas, Bell is hugely aggressive both in the freight delivery drone segment and in the development of the eVTOL, which would be more the more of the passenger um, uh, urban air mobility vehicle that, the, that, that originally was the basis for the, for the whole Uber Elevate uh, strategy. They were just one of many, but Boeing's in the space. They're, the, the Embraer, uh, there, there's a huge expanding, emerging industry of major OEMs that are very well capitalized. This is not just a, you know, a startup in your garage building a drone and seeing if you can carry a package. This is, these are very, very significant aviation, aerospace, uh, automotive, and technology companies. Um, so, what we're trying to do is take everything we have here at Alliance, all this infrastructure, take all the activity of North Texas, including DFW Airport, Low Field, all of the, the network of aviation and aerospace, and wrap it into a package for these companies to say, come here, develop, test, and commercialize your new products in mobility and let us be your home for, for all things uh, mobility development. You know, that's so exciting. And I think what excites me most about what you just said is that even though 
in pre-pandemic times, um, there was this huge amount of investment into UAM or urban air mobility, and you know FAA was working to help us understand the regulate uh, regulation of our skies and the development of those systems and networks. Um, all of that work was put in prior to the pandemic, and what you're saying is that a lot of that effort is still continuing, if I heard that correctly. And so I, you know, Mike, I just I just want to ask real quick, you know. Um, what do you see, uh, you know, kind of our, our shift in uh, um, where we have our sites set for urban air mobility? And, and do you think that the current shift in focus from potentially delivering passengers to delivering cargo might be a thing? Do you think that UAM and the UAM developers might first set their eyes on delivering cargo um, until they can start to get the passengers? Or how do you how do you feel about that? Um, I, I do. I, I think the original timelines that we all sort of promoted because we were listening to the promoters um, of, you know, first flights in urban air mobility, moving people, I think those are, those are way further out than we, we thought. But I do think what happens much more quickly are using these new types of vehicles, UAVs and ultimately even VTOL type aircraft that could be designed to carry freight uh, or packages. Um, I think you'll see that happen much more quickly. And I, you know, use the specific the specific experience of what we just saw with the delivery of medical supplies, PPE and 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 blood and pharmaceuticals and tests that needed to be delivered to the labs, think of in the right markets, can't happen everywhere, how much faster we could have accelerated the connectivity of, of all those things if we had more efficient and in many cases, aerial sorts of systems uh, to transport that activity. So there's a lot of tests and, and Sean and Mark know this, today because they work so closely with the FAA, but the FAA already has way pre-pandemic, they have like nine what they call IPPs, which are these test sites that they've set up around the country that are doing specific tests, specific use cases, pharmaceuticals and, and blood and medical supplies being one in North Carolina, where they're actually using drones, large drones, heavy lift drones, to carry things back and forth to try to accelerate the, the connectivity. And we're, we think, back to my North, North Texas sales pitch and particularly Alliance, with what we're trying to create, this fully integrated test bed, if we can bring FAA to the table, which they are at the table now, and we can bring NASA, most people don't talk about the importance of NASA in the development of these new technologies, but particularly when you're talking about the air side, NASA is really the research arm, FAA, are the, they're the rule writers. You gotta get both NASA and FAA connected up and, and you gotta bring everybody else around the table. What's not happened historically is you've, you've not had a really cohesive way to bring all these stakeholders together. Now, now that the, the issue has been elevated, and the need to advance these technologies, I think, is more acute. I think we have an opportunity here to bring those parties together faster and to accelerate this, this process. But you said it earlier, Samantha, 
until we get over community acceptance and safety, which is all about testing, 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 and developing, you'll never see this stuff really flying at a commercial scale. So you got a lot of work to do. And I, I believe we can do that work right here and we can be the center. North Texas can be the center for development of those, of those products. You know, that's absolutely right, Mike. And we, we won't get to the level of UAM that we want to see all of us that are invested if, uh, if we can't convince the community that it's safe or that we can't put safe vehicles in the air. And, you know, even, even aside from the safety of the vehicles, I mean, right now, some travelers really have an aversion to, you know, the close proximity of hundreds of people in a large aircraft. It's kind of baked into their psyches. And, you know, a lot of people are looking for alternatives. Maybe eVTOLs are those alternatives. Um, or maybe, you know, in some cases we see people renting private jets for short trips. Um, and these alternatives look more attractive. And, you know, Mark, um, we've spoken on this before, and I, I just would like to hear your thoughts on, you know, what kinds of traveler trends are you seeing right now? And what nuances might these new trends um, introduce to short range aviation markets? Well, we, yeah, we've, we've had that conversation because we, the commercial avi aviation industry really hasn't fundamentally changed the way they do business for a very long time. We, we've recognized kind of these new trends with subscription services like rise of uh, scheduled charters, you know, that are, that are outside the commercial certification process. So no security screening. The pandemic may have um, really accelerated people looking for those options. I think a lot of us feel safer buying a ticket with American or Delta or Southwest uh, and don't know much about charters or fractional ownership or things like that, which seem to be in the realm of, you know, the very wealthy. So now this kind of mid-market products are coming in and because of the platforms that really were pioneered by Uber and Lyft and, and the TNCs, connecting available resource to, to the demand. Um, you know, with these scheduled charters, we have one going to Taos, it's seasonal. Um, JSX has now uh, got, I think, twice a week to Vegas out of love. Um, they're much smaller aircraft, a much easier process, price competitive. Um, you don't get the amenities. Um, that you necessarily would by coming to, to the full terminal, but we're looking at how do we as an airport accommodate sort of those new products. And I think as the technologies, as Mike alluded to, they're, I mean, it's exploding. I mean, they are, they're thinking about not just sort of what we think about a drone or a big drone that, you know, is kind of slow, but flies around town, but these hybrid vehicles that have the capability of vertical takeoff and landing but then can achieve, achieve a speed to go fixed wing, which is a much more efficient, and now have a range instead of 75 miles on a charge, but now they can go 200 miles on a charge. So now you're talking about Austin, you know, some of these closer in markets that you could serve. The real worry that we have at, 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 as an airport is, if you take away the need for a runway, you really take away the need for an airport. Um, if, if vertical takeoff and landing becomes a viable option for longer range flights, then we really got to rethink the landscape in the urban environment where then an airport could be anywhere, it could be on top of a building, 
uh, and we were part of that task force along with um, kind of uh, Hillwood was on there, DFW, DART connectivity. Um, but, but the question we raised, that kind of a, I'm a city guy, probably more than an airport guy. Really, we got to get around issues now of land use and, uh, and appropriateness, never mind the noise and environmental and sort of the worry of having a congested airspace over residential areas. But really, what is the, what is the appropriate land use? What are questions about accessibility, uh, requirements of facilities? It's a whole new frontier uh, in land use and planning and building codes uh, that really haven't been touched on yet. And, and quite frankly, I, I was with the city and went through sort of the Uber and Lyft arrival uh, in Dallas where we were silent on the issue of transportation network companies. We had a taxi cab and a, a transportation for hire ordinance, but you had this new player in the game who said, well, we exist outside of your definition and therefore we're not regulated by the rules that you have in place. And it was a very painful, difficult process for the city to rewrite the rules to catch up with what's, what, what industry had brought. And so I, what we're trying to do in the city, kind of important in, in this audience is, is think about what would the land use requirements be? Um, we have an airport and a heliport definition in our zoning codes. Um, you know, where they're allowed by SUP, where they're allowed by right, um, based on the zoning, but then also on on appropriateness in various zoning classifications, this may be more appropriate for a mixed use development, which otherwise would be denied because it would be defined as a heliport. Because the concept is a very big, very loud helicopter that isn't compatible. Whereas a VTOL has a very different noise profile and might be appropriate in sort of those, you know, MU uh, zoning classifications. Um, and then likewise, the building code's gonna need to catch up as far as accessibility. And, and I think it was simplistic. A lot of people said, well, if, if you have a parking garage, you can just convert the top of a parking garage to a new vertiport. It, it's a little more complicated than that. And cities need to be thoughtful and thinking about how we define where it's appropriate, where it's not. Um, because everything I've seen is, it's not just downtown to the airport and back, they're going to be these centers, uh, much like we've tried to develop with, with rail, with transit-oriented development. It creates a new sort of pathway on a, from a mobility front that now creates a zone that could be oriented around that as a stop or, or a vertiport or a heliport or wherever you want to define it as, um, really create opportunity in those nodes. Um, so, I think we as cities need to be thoughtful about that. We, of course, at Love Field, we're right smack in the middle of the city. We want to be the biggest, best node there is, um, facilitate the development all the way around the airport, not just on airport, but around. Um, so, so I think there's a lot of opportunities as this, you know, really is exploding. And I, and I think Mike's exactly right that the manufacturers have figured out we don't need to follow necessarily uh, a business asking for this technology. This technology has merits of its own. If we develop it, it will be sellable to whatever company might, whatever they might use it for. Quite frankly, there might be uses 
yet unknown that these type of vehicles might fill a fill a void that otherwise is being handled by roadway traffic. You know, you bring up a great point that when you're when you're thinking about introducing these, you have to at some point you have to push it to the extreme and ask like what you're asking yourself, Mark, is this gonna completely transition the way that we think about inner urban airports or inner city airports? And I think that what's interesting is, you know, we have this, this um, understanding that airports take a long time to, to design. First of all, they can take years to design, they take years to build. Um, and something that we have kind of in our back pocket are these, you know, um, digital twins so that we can simulate those future scenarios and kind of understand how operations might look like if we push them to the limits in this way or that way. You know, um, we learned a lot during this whole pandemic about how Singapore used their digital twin of their city to kind of run different scenarios and, and close down different portions of the city in order to kind of, you know, corral the virus. And, you know, in commercial real estate, digital twins have been around for a few years. Um, but I know that in the aviation industry, we're, we're kind of dipping our toe in that area. And I'm really happy, you know, Sean, you guys are looking at digital twins um, as a part of your business offering and, and, and the operations. And I, I was wondering if you could elaborate on how you're looking at either future scenarios or how you're working with your digital twin. Sure, I'd be happy to talk about that, Samantha. I just want to pivot back very quickly on the uh, uh, urban mobility from a commercial passenger perspective. And I don't want to diminish everyone's enthusiasm, uh, but I, I really believe in the analogy I would use with is with autonomous vehicles. Actually, the amount of investment going into autonomous vehicles um, is actually decreasing. And, you know, um, Mike mentioned that uh, it's now being somewhat directed to trucks. In this analogy of um, autonomous vehicles, UAMs, passenger versus cargo, I, I, I actually believe it's going to continue to be more cargo focused um, initially before passenger focused. Then from an airport perspective, and then I'll kind of put on my old airline hat, um, economies of scale are just a massive, massive part of the aviation ecosystem. And, and while UAMs, the technology is there and people are excited about it, from a passenger perspective, you know, my view is uh, you cannot replace uh, customers' choices when it comes to, obviously, a business person going to London out of here is going to fly on American or British Airways. If they're going to New York, you can't replace the fact that you got 30 flights a day. We will have 30 back when, the, when we're recovered. So there's a place for, for UAMs from a passenger perspective. I think it's going to be slower in implementation than on the cargo side. The other aspect of it I think you'll see is partnerships. And in the next 10 years, would it actually be out of the question where a UAM could be funneling connecting traffic from Tyler to DFW to get on an American flight to go to London? Um, and that might be a more efficient way of creating connectivity. So I just wanted to comment on that. I, I really think Mike and Alliance are in a great, great position, a real innovative spirit over there. 
to work with with UAMs. And I think you'll see a lot more growth on, on the cargo side. But to your question around digital twins, we've been working with the National Renewable Energy Lab out of Golden, Colorado for a couple of years. They've got incredible computing power there and they're creating an entire digital twin of all the ground transportation at DFW. Uh, we recognize that uh, there is a tremendous amount of, of surface uh, vehicular and, and, and truck traffic at DFW. Um, obviously that will recover as well. And we wanna understand the dynamics of that better. And we wanna understand the, the impact that's having on the environment. Again, we're DFW's, the, the largest carbon neutral airport in the world. We take sustainability very, very seriously. And that's where this project started from. But the use of digital twins, so you can actually do a better job of designing and planning the future is something that uh, we're excited about. And, and I believe you're gonna see the application of that benefit in using digital twins uh, probably explode in the next five years. That's really exciting. Um, I know I'm really excited to see digital twins take off. I've been talking about it for a few years now, and I'm, I'm glad to see that you guys are, are dipping your toes in, into that technology. And you know, it, it, you guys really highlighted in a lot of what we've been talking about is that there are a lot of unknowns still, um, and there's a lot of you know, traveling decisions that are being made. And at the same time, there are these great emerging technologies that are just being introduced that we can kind of leverage as, you know, COVID is accelerating their use. And I definitely think that this conversation has, has certainly highlighted that um, there are many industries that are using COVID as a catalyst for these new operations. And so I'm, you know, just to kind of wrap things up, I wanted to ask all of you just a final question, you know, where do you see um, new emerging opportunities in how we experience mobility today? And we've talked about a lot of them, but is there anything that we haven't discussed uh, in our conversation today? And, and Mike, I'd love to start with you. Uh, well, this may be a bit redundant, but I'll go back to the autonomous trucking piece because we're seeing a lot, we're, we're focused heavily on that. You know, we're already in the state of Texas and in other states, we, you may not notice them on the interstate highways, but we're already running autonomous 18 wheelers up and down our interstate system in Texas almost on a daily basis with a safety driver in the vehicle. So it probably wouldn't be that apparent to you, maybe if you passed one, um, other than the fact that it's marked on the cab of the truck. Uh, but, but back to Sean's point, and which is why we're focused, we kind of, we went from flying EV tolls and Uber Elevate to what can we get done sooner rather than later. We think that will be the first technology to you know, commercialization is still a ways away, but but I think you're going to see it rapidly advance, maybe on last mile scenarios first, and then on longer haul scenarios later. But um, you know, look at what what they're doing in Arizona. Arizona is probably the most progressive state in terms of accelerating and advancing um, autonomous vehicle technology, but particularly the trucking. Uh, sector is moving there. So I think that will go faster. Um, and I agree with 
Sean, when you when you start moving, to, when you start putting people in in these things versus freight, the the level of scrutiny goes way up. So it's a lot easier to get past the community concerns and the safety concerns if you're moving freight versus people. So that that'll happen. We will have some demonstrations in our in our Alliance Texas Mobility Innovation Zone as early as October uh, with some of these autonomous trucking companies. So we'll be able to actually showcase some commercial use case applications. So you'll be able to see it. Um, and then on the air side, we also are working with our partners at Bell and BNSF Railway uh, to stand up a use case, an aerial package delivery use case in October as well with a with a uh, 70 pound drone. So that's, so we're, we're starting to really see movement um, and yeah, I'm pretty excited about it. That's really exciting. Thank you for sharing that with us. Um, Mark, same question to you. Any emerging op opportunities that you're starting to see? Uh, I, other than kind of what I touched on earlier, new products, kind of new avenues for air travel to be bought and sold, I think what we're focused on and what the pandemic has showed us is how poorly we do data sharing. So as we, you know, we're watching very closely all the exciting things DFW is doing on biometrics, but ultimately we, we think the, the way is for that journey from the time you leave your home, however you get to the airport, however you check in the airport, however you go through screening, however you get a concession, however you get on the plane, if we, industries and you're going to touch four four or five different industries or or vendors and we don't do any kind of data sharing amongst us everyone's very protective of the data of the passenger but i think with blockchain technology everyone can be assured uh, enough security but we would be able to transfer that information from vendor to vendor so when when a TNC picks someone up at their house, not only will they be picked up, I'll be alerted that they're on their way and they will arrive at whatever time. I then can help manage resource allocation or the airlines can do that for check-in as well as we can share that with TSA on, on resources available because we're gonna have a big wave. Likewise with the concessionaires, we can, you know, so the more we can data share and, and really make the transition in the journey. And you know, now it's just a, a lot of broken up segments by vendor, by vendor, by vendor, and not a good transition um, from one vendor to the other. You know, we sort of have a nice day as each of us gets you as a customer for a short time. We do the best we can to treat you really well, but at the end of what we've done with you, we say, have a nice day. And we really don't help you move on in the next segment. So our, what I've been trying to get cooperation from everyone is really sharing that customer data in a way that's meaningful, that brings value to the customer, but also helps us in resource management, knowing we've got a large number about to come to the airport or either from inbound planes, because I'm, I'm sharing information with other airports. So I think there's lots of opportunity. And, and that goes to the point of kind of what Sean alluded to earlier, better management of the crowds help us maintain those distances and really comply with all the things we're trying to do to prevent the spread of COVID. 
And so I think there's a real opportunity. And, and I think the trend will be all of us will know where you are in your journey so that we can, we're prepared for you when you get to us. Uh, and then we'll let the next segment know that you're about to be passed over. So we think there's real opportunity there in crowd management, distance management, and improving the experience throughout that journey um, all the way through. So that's kind of what we're looking for. Thank you. Sean, we are right at 12.59. So if you have any quick emerging opportunities you want to share with us, we'd love to hear it. Well, in the sake of time, I, I would just summarize with this. We all need to continue to embrace technologies and the solutions they provide. We, we also have to um, uh, embrace innovation. And, you know, we just stood up an innovation team here at DFW about two years ago. And one of the things I've learned is um, you've just got to continue to test and test and test. And sometimes uh, the testing will actually fail and that's okay. And, and you got to be able to take that risk. You never take a risk uh, when it comes to safe and secure, but you know, we all have to continue to be innovative and embrace the technologies and, and, and drive the solutions that uh, they can provide. And then selfishly from an aviation perspective, I just want to leave everybody with, uh, we are going to recover as an industry. Travel will come back. I can't tell you when it's going to come back. There's still a lot of uncertainty out there. But being in this industry for 35 years, there is clearly a spirit to travel. People want to get together. They want to conduct business person to person. They want to see families. They want to see friends. And uh, I'm sick and tired of doing these Zoom webinar <laughs> ring central calls and really look forward to getting back to seeing everybody in person. I, I agree with you. I am ready to see places again. I'm ready to see people again. <laughs> it will be great yep. when we can all feel safe about our, our uh, traveling. Well, thank you all so much. I, I just want to say, you know, a huge thank you to our amazing panelists. Um, they've been able to answer all of my questions and beyond. And, and I really hope that you've enjoyed this, um, this webinar today. I really hope that you've enjoyed the conversation that we had and the tough questions that we, you know, kind of tried to answer for all of you guys. So thank you so much. And I'm going to hand this back over to Mike. Hello everyone, my name is Linda McMahon and I'm uh, the president of the Real Estate Council. And before we wrap up today, I'd like to thank Samantha Flores for a great job moderating a really fascinating panel. Um, Mike, I loved hearing about NASA and uh, what that has to do with air travel and all the things that you're doing in logistics. It's really exciting stuff. Sean and Mark, uh, thank you so much for participating. We cannot thank you enough for providing this type of content our members who are hungry for information, I will tell you. We've been having regular meetings with CEOs in the real estate industry um, and just having communication channels open among all the different parts of this industry. And that's been a critical component of what we're doing as an organization to continue the conversation, continue the collaboration, even virtually. And Sean, I can't agree with you more. I can hardly wait to get on a plane next week to California. Uh, I plan on supporting the air industry as best I can, as soon as I can. Um, so it's exciting to be able to hear that you all are optimistic about recovery and how this all plays out in our, uh, in our economy, which is essential. We are so grateful to be in North Texas. 
We are uh, grateful that we have uh, the strong partnerships and companies that we have that are ensuring that our economy keeps going forward. Um, so again, thank you for participating in this really interesting panel. We're trying to keep programming going for our organization uh, so that our members have an opportunity to hear about what's going on in the, in the industry. Thanks to Bank of Texas. Thanks to Stuart Title, Melissa, we really appreciate you and the Dallas Morning News. And I know for the past six months, this has not been ideal. We can hardly wait to get back to the office. And uh, I actually hope that we can do that sooner rather than later. We're grateful to all of you, our members, and the continued support that we receive to build the city that we all imagine. So thanks again, have a great rest of your day, and uh, I hope to see you all in person soon. Sean, hopefully on the golf course. <laughs> see you all soon. That's all for today's show. I'd like to once again thank our panel, Samantha Flores of Corgan, Mike Berry of Hillwood, Sean Donahue of DFW International Airport, and Mark Diener of the City of Dallas for joining us, as well as our speaker series sponsors, Bank of Texas, Stuart Title, and the Dallas Morning News for their support of the event. Subscribe to the show if you'd like more content like this and follow Track on social media. Once again, I'm Bill San Antonio. Thanks for listening.